Bankless Nation. It is the fifth week of April, and this is your weekly roll-up. David, you ready to roll them up? Let's do it, Ryan. It's another fantastic week in the world of crypto, and so we are going to inject all of that fantasticness right into your brain on this Bankless weekly roll-up. So the agenda, as always, is market, releases, news, takes, what we're both excited about. And then we end with the meme of the week. Might have a special runner-up mm. bonus meme this week. So stick around to the end for that. David, we've got this going on every Friday morning so folks can enjoy this with their morning coffee, either on YouTube so you get to see the visuals that accompany the roll-up or on the podcast, however you prefer to consume content. We've got it for you. Before we get into the roll-up, David, we've got some announcements. Dude, mm -hmm. we are giving away one ETH today. A whole like, ETH? For real. What? Yeah. This, Why would we this do is not such a scam. A this is not like Vitalik, like fake Vitalik on Twitter offering to give you one ETH. This is actually Bankless giving you one ETH if you are a Bankless badge holder. And not everyone gets this, I should <laughs> say. This is a raffle. <laughs> Only one not everyone winner. Gets an ETH. Only okay, one yeah. ETH is being given away to one, one lucky ETH. raffle winner who by default has a bankless badge and submitted their bankless badge to the raffle so that they could get entered to win that one ether. We're only giving away one. Much, much better explanation, David. <laughs> so what is the value of one ETH as we speak, David? I the know value, you got your, uh, your chart up. Yeah, the value of one ETH is exactly $2,726.91. Uh, and so that is how much money we are giving away. One ether, really. One ETH is one ETH. Um, and one ETH is one ETH and it's going to a bankless badge holder. Yep, so we're doing this because we want people who are premium members who have the ability to claim their badge to claim their bankless badge. Once again, if you're a premium member and you subscribe before April 1st, you should have an email in your inbox with a way to mint your badge. Make sure you do that, enter the raffle. If you subscribe during the month of April, you will get your badge on May 1st. So that is uh, actually tomorrow from the, from the time people read this. So Ooh. April badge holders, the minting is is happening on saturday um david we should also talk about dharma mm -hmm. dharma's doing big things in this space what are they doing dharma is onboarding all of the retail people that we think are coming into the realm of specifically ethereum rather than just crypto i think dharma will be onboarding all of those groups of people uh and i think retail season is pretty close uh and i actually think retail season begins right after ether finally slows down if it ever does slow down because then some of that value will rotate into DeFi tokens and we all know retail loves to speculate on tokens specifically DeFi tokens and dharma is that one tap access between your bank account and DeFi tokens on uniswap so you can immediately go from dollar you know shitcoin dollars in your bank account to a capital asset appreciating DeFi tokens on Ethereum, the fastest bridge between your bank account and Ethereum. Dollars to DeFi in one tap. I was looking at the interest rates for my Wells Fargo savings account, David, 0.01% in a savings account in Wells Just Fargo. Just say zero. Just say zero, Wells Fargo. <laughs> no, it's, it's not zero and it's not negative yet. It's 0.01%. And here's Dharma through Wiren offering 12% right now. This gets updated every day. It was like 16% the other day. It's 12% now. It'll be 14%. Always double digits in DeFi. Mm -hmm. I'm running out of reasons to keep my Wells Fargo account open other than having to pay like utility bills and that sort right. of thing, David. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Well, let's get to it. Should we start with markets? What's going on in the markets this week? Uh, maybe let's start with Bitcoin as we usually do. 
Yeah, Bitcoin having a rough time uh, coming down from the from Bitcoin's new all time high of somewhere around 63,000, I think. Uh, and it has come all the way down to 52,840. So Bitcoin in a, in a slump of a week in the, in the last seven days. This is not the case for Ether, though. What's happening in Ethereum world? Ether is having all-time high week. Every single day has been a new all-time high for the past five days, I think. Yeah, four or five days. Uh, all-time high season. Um, and and it's really, Ether is stealing the whole entire show in the whole entire crypto markets in this last week, uh, which I'm very excited about. We are above 2,700 as we record this. Uh, who knows what it'll be by the time you listen, but that is definitely all-time high. And like, like fairly high above all-time high. What was our previous all-time high? Um, looks like On the 22nd, April, yeah, April 22nd, 22nd, we hit $2,612, and we hit, uh, we. I think the official all-time high, which we set just a couple hours ago, is literally $2,800, zeros at the end. Uh, and so <laughs> current, current all-time high, 2800 one way to look at Ether, of course, is its per unit unit price. The other way is to look at its market cap. And this is super interesting. Ethereum now has a market cap of around 320 billion. That's billion with a B, which places it above PayPal. Finally. Ethereum, the network, yeah, has finally flippened PayPal in terms of the value of Ethereum versus the value of PayPal. It's just rising up the global asset charts uh, as as we speak, fairly quickly too. Yeah, and the of course the next thing that we are looking at, I've been looking at a lot this week, is specifically the ETH BTC ratio, uh, and and so what we are looking at is a weekly chart. So every single candle is one week, and it goes all the way back to 2016, and we can see these violent spikes in the 2017 mania where Ether went as high as 0.15 uh, Bitcoin Ether per Bitcoin. And then the bear market came and we got all the way down to as low as like 0, uh, 0.018 or something, Ether per BTC, very, very low. And right now we are currently at 0 0.5 Ether per BTC. Uh, and we have not been this high in Bitcoin terms since 2018. Uh, and really, there is only a very small amount of time in Ethereum's history where we have been where Ether has been as this high in, in Bitcoin terms. There's only been perhaps three or four months in total time where Ethereum has been valued higher on a unit uh, basis versus Bitcoin. Uh, so we are um, we are kind of going into back into uncharted waters. I don't really consider Ether has really ever charted these waters in the first place. It was it, it, nothing. Ether hasn't spent this much time above these levels in Bitcoin terms really all that much. And so we are kind of going back into price discovery in Bitcoin terms, which is meaningfully different than going into price discovery in dollar terms. And so a lot of the traders are focusing on this, on this uh, specific graph. They say it's just going up, right? They, the they TA say, traders. Yeah, mm -hmm. they, they are looking for a similarly as violent move, uh, Ether versus Bitcoin, as they saw in, in 2017. Uh, and so where where does the ETH BTC ratio go from here? Um, I, I, let's find out. I'm, I'm happy to find out. <laughs> Not a trader, like personally, more of a, a holder, but this is very interesting to observe. And I'm always curious about the the fundamentals that 
or even the narratives that might be driving this shift because this is a pretty massive shift hasn't happened since mm -hmm. 2017 2018 i think we're going to get into some of that during the takes but one take that we have right now while we're discussing markets mm -hmm. is whenever this ratio flips in this direction at least the last time it does we're back to a question of when is the flipping going to happen the flipping of course I, I guess the term was invented in uh, 2017 to describe the moment in time which Ether as an asset exceeds Bitcoin as an asset in terms of total market cap. There are other flipping metrics, mm -hmm. right? But most of which of uh, these like um, you know, transaction volume settlement, uh, Ethereum is already flipping to Bitcoin on that. But this looks like we're 32% of the way to flipping on ratio gang dot com which is just like a really really awesome website to mm -hmm. like chart the progress of ether versus bitcoin the other website that we've used in the past is flippening.watch for those that uh, are more familiar with that website but uh, the reason why we're bringing this up today again is because of ether sig significant ether outperformance versus bitcoin again that we have not seen since 2018 and it's also has injected itself into public consciousness not just in the ethereum deep ethereum crew like uh, me and ryan and anthony and eric and anti-pro in dc we, we've been talking about the flipping since forever uh, evan you, uh, ryan you said the flipping got coined in 2017 evan van ness was tweeting about the flipping before ethereum was even alive uh, so some people have been convicted that Ethereum will eventually flip in Bitcoin at some point in time. Uh, and again, only time can tell. But traders and, and non-Ethereum folk are getting on board with the potential flipping. Uh, and there was a, a fantastic ha podcast out of uh, Uncommon Core with Hazu with this uh, very famous uh, crypto trader, Kobe, who's been around for three plus cycles, like massive veteran, very much agnostic. But as a trader... He believes that the Ethereum fundamentals have the power to flip in Bitcoin. Bitcoiners will obviously call this blasphemous and say that this is just impossible. But the ultrasound money thesis, I think, is Ethereum literally designing a way for it to pump itself into the number one spot. And I think if we go, if you go back to the uh, to the uh, ETH BTC chart, I think that that rocket off the uh, 0.3 level that we've seen in just the last uh, three to four weeks. I think that's the ultrasound money pump, Ryan. I think that's what that is. <laughs> you do, and you think that's the beginning. So, mm -hmm. how much of a believer are you in the flipping, then, 100%. David? Are you like a hundred percent? Wow, I like. I wouldn't call myself a hundred percent. I think it's like ninety percent uh, inevitable. And I also don't know for sure whether it's going to happen in this cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so I would weight the probability at ninety percent in it, kind of a multi-cycle, but. Um, right. Still, I, I do think that this is going to happen, and I haven't seen Ether show such, um, I guess, strength relative to mm -hmm. Bitcoin since 2017. So what's also interesting here, David, is that if you were to make the Ether market cap equal to the Bitcoin market cap, we would have a Ether price of $8,500 right now. That is the point at which, at these prices, Ether flippins Bitcoin, at least at the Bitcoin price right now. Yeah, if, if Bitcoin stays the same, then Ether needs to be $8,500 and then we flip in BTC. I think Bitcoin will be higher priced by the time that Ether flippins Bitcoin, which means that the Ether price will be, of course, even more higher. Uh, so cool. <laughs> if, you, if you're if you 100%, are you like certain that it happens this cycle? No, or do you think definitely it, not. 
definitely not. You're not you're not certain it happens this cycle. Well, also we the last weekly roll up we talked about how this cycles moving forward is perhaps not really going to be a thing anymore. And so moving forward, maybe cycles aren't really even the correct measure of time. I'm 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 ready to see Ether flipping Bitcoin this cycle. I think this cycle definitely has the potential to, especially with how we are. There's going to be more in this weekly roll-up about this subject matter. But institutions are more uh, resonant, I think, or more find easier resonance with Ether as an asset than Bitcoin as an asset for many, many different reasons. Um, and and it's really, I think, going to be institutional big money that really determines the future of this industry. When there's so much money that's not in crypto that is coming into crypto, where that money goes determines where what the, what assets are going to appreciate the most. And I, I think there's a very compelling case that is Ether that is where a lot of this money lands. We'll talk about that soon. Let's, let's uh, peek over at, at DeFi land. So total locked value in DeFi, 65 billion or so. That's, uh, that's also up on the week, mm -hmm. partially due to ETH appreciation, but also due to pickup in, um, in DeFi in general. It's just sucking in locked value. Same old story that has been the story every single week. Ether's price going up and more DeFi apps are locking up more Ether. Uh, and so locked in uh, value locked in, in DeFi is outpacing Ether appreciation. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Let's talk about DeFi as an asset class. So the way we track this on the weekly rollup is through the DeFi Pulse Index. Uh, up on the week, DeFi has appreciated in value. DeFi tokens have anyway on the week. But... Um, Mm -hmm. So it, 535 or so, I it think would, that's up from. It was $500 last week, and so we're up $35. Yeah, but um, the ETH, the DPI to ETH ratio, that is going down, is down, down. Straight line down, straight line down. Uh, we dipped below the 0.19 level. It, the ETH DPI level tried, it looked like it, it tried to hold 0.2, but it just, it did not hold it. And so ETH DPI continuing to bleed versus Ether. But, but with the more money inside of Ether, the asset, when market cap of Ether go, it, it, uh, when the market cap of Ether grows, to me, that is just like sidelined capital ready to flow into DeFi tokens. Ether first, DeFi tokens later. And so while we are seeing this slow bleed of DeFi tokens versus Ether, I think there's a, uh, and I said this on the last weekly roll up as well, like there's room for like the, the DeFi tokens to absolutely explode. Um, when Ether finally takes a breather, DeFi tokens can take their turn. And when DeFi tokens take their turn, I think it's going to be a, a quick move. DeFi summer V2. DeFi summer V2. Literally summer's around the corner. <laughs> All right, David, we're going to get to releases after this. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this roll up possible. Balancer is DeFi's most powerful automated market maker. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indexes, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties 
that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we used a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool. To top things off, Balancer is reimbursing gas costs with BAL rewards, meaning that your gas fees are reimbursed up to the cost of the transaction with the Balancer governance token. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at pools.balancer.exchange today. MetaMask is your go-to wallet for the bankless journey. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask, period browser and mobile, get them both. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi. Here's my favorite part. Now you can swap tokens directly in MetaMask with a single swipe. This has got to be the easiest way to trade Ethereum tokens. Choose a token you own, a token to exchange it with, and get your quotes. If you like what you see, you hit swap. That's it. What makes swaps so useful is what happens behind the scenes. It compares DEXs, aggregators, and market makers to find you the best price with the lowest network fees and the least slippage. This means you can swap a wider range of tokens, and swaps can even automatically split up your trade to give you access to better liquidity. You don't even have to think about it. Try it out. Download MetaMask for desktop or mobile now at MetaMask.io and start swapping. All right, guys, we are back with the hot releases on the week. The first is this lending giant Aave set to launch liquidity mining program. That is the headline. First of all, lending giant Aave. Mm -hmm. That's that's awesome. It's 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 crazy to me that you know a year and a half ago, two years ago, Aave had basically nothing, hundreds of thousands in total locked value, and now it's being called a lending giant. This is how quickly stuff moves. But what is Aave launching uh, with their liquidity mining program, David? Yeah, so almost a year ago, Comp Compound launched the Comp liquidity mining, where you can deposit assets into Compound and receive Comp tokens for those deposits. You can also borrow assets from Compound and also receive comp token for borrowing assets and you know better late than never but uh ave finally did the same thing and so if you deposit assets into ave and if you are borrowing assets from ave you receive an extra little bonus in ave tokens um and so this is a live for ave on the l1 uh but not included in this announcement but still live and worth mentioning is that there's also uh, liquidity mining uh rewards on the ave's implementation on matic and so ave Carbon copied itself, deployed it on Matic and on Polygon, excuse me, and is now giving out Matic rewards for people doing the same borrowing and lending activity on the uh, Polygon uh, sidechain. Uh, and that's actually an activity that I am doing. And so I am earning Matic tokens by borrowing and lending on Aave on Polygon L2. And let me tell you, the gas fees on Matic are just an absolute treat. Uh, transactions <laughs> go through instantly and they cost me basically nothing. Uh, and so it is a, a nice and how are those spike. interest rates, David? And the interest rates are also fantastic. Um, and so good place it, to be then. Yeah, it's a, it's a good place to be. That's, that's my alpha leak for this week. I wasn't going to say that, but I have a hard time keeping the alpha for myself. You know what's crazy is um, Aave has grown so large without actually a liquidity mining program mm -hmm. to this point in time. I mean, Compound has had the advantage of incenting liquidity and in incenting 
uh, locked value since since the beginning of DeFi summer. Ave hasn't had this the entire time. It's grown as large as they do. The question is, what happens now that they actually have a liquidity incentive program? Mm -hmm. Are they going to grow even faster? I mean, mm -hmm. it seems like that's the case. Yeah, yeah I would imagine so. Um, I, I mean, I also have uh, some assets in Ave on the base train, and the, uh, the Ave trickle is pretty. It's a trickle. It's not a flood of Ave on on Polygon. It's Closer to something like a flood of, of Matic tokens. I'll say that. <laughs> There's your alpha leak, guys. All right. Uh, stocks are live on Quenta as well. So Quenta, of course, is an exchange uh, put together by the Synthetics Protocol. And now also you can sponsored trade... to Bankless. Thank you, Quenta and Synthetics. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, also, they are now you have the ability to trade uh, stocks, so synthetic versions of traditional stocks, like they, they picked, of course, the most memefied stocks, Tesla, Naturally. Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, Google. You can do this in a permissionless, unstoppable way. Pretty cool. Have you tried this yet, David? No, no, I have not because I just don't really care about equities, but synthetic equities on Ethereum uh, I, or is closer to stuff that I care about. And as soon as uh, I think there's more composability with some of these assets, I think they could be extremely compelling. Uh, I think coin is undervalued. That's a separate conversation. Uh, coin has dumped, I think, 11 days, uh, uh, nine out of the 11 days it's been live on the market. And so, you know, I, I would go and buy that if I had a normal brokerage, but I don't. But I do have an Ethereum account and I could, in theory, go buy synthetic coin, Coinbase. And so perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I think what what hasn't seemed to happen yet is DeFi having its GameStop, you know, GME moment, Wall Street bets moment, where all of the folks who are blocked from traditional brokerages mm -hmm. come over and see unstoppable, permissionless, synthetic versions of these same assets in DeFi. I wonder if Quenta could be the start of something like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what that's the same conversation that we had when we were we were going through the whole GameStop debacle is like, hey, like you, you guys, you guys now understand the value of decentralization. You, perhaps you're warming up to crypto. Come to us and come and be in our world. And then if, if we when we talk to these people who are in the Wall Street Bets community, it's like, OK, cool. How do I buy? How do I ape into GME? I'm like, oh, you can't. You, we don't have that, but we have these other yeah. DeFi tokens and like, well, what the yeah. fuck is a DeFi token? Like yeah, now yeah, this conversation yeah. is a lot easier. Also in the 2018, 2019 bear market, there was just perpetual conversations about like, you know, one day you'll be able to own, you know, Apple on Ethereum. One day you'll be able it to own It seems so sci-fi at the time. It's so crazy sci-fi, so far away. And today it's here. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. So G GME folks, Wall Street Bets folks, if you're listening, drop your Robinhood account, come over to Quenta, see what DeFi is like. All right, exactly let's right. talk Nexus Mutual. So we, we've had Hugh Carp on the Bankless podcast a couple of times, well, at least once. Mm -hmm. And then he's also written some fantastic articles for us. He, of course, is one of the founders behind Nexus Mutual. And Nexus Mutual is growing. They provide smart contract insurance so that if you are using DeFi and something goes wrong, you can take out insurance against a smart contract hack. It looks like they're growing, David. In which ways are they growing? Yeah, they are offering more cover opportunities for uh, different types of smart contracts risk. Uh, so more contract, more contracts on around the crypto space, specifically not on Ethereum, is now being offered by Nexus. And I think that's really the cool thing here is um, not only is Nexus Mutual offering protection for smart contract risk on Ethereum, they are also offering smart contract risk for things on Binance Smart Chain, uh, which means that you can buy cover for your DGEN activities on Binance Smart Chain on Ethereum, 
Uh, and so Ethereum is protecting other things that are not itself in the crypto world, which I think is cool. David, I bet some of that contract insurance is going to be used on the Binance Smart Chain. There's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting activity. More in the mm -hmm. take section, I think, uh, in Binance World hacks and that sort of thing. Let's get to this. Uh, Wiren released their quarterly report. So this is their Q1 2021 earnings report. And you know what I'm struck by? This is really like an analyst dream, David. Mm -hmm. Like this is. Um, this is basically all of the reporting that you might find in typical quarterly publicly traded company financial statements. Uh, and this is being produced by a decentralized autonomous organization, or maybe Joel Minegra might call this a digital autonomous organization. Uh, and they're throwing up some pretty fantastic numbers. So we have a, you know, a table here that shows that Q1 EBITDA, so that's earnings before interest tax depreciation. It's a you know, financial term. TradFi metric. Yeah, TradFi metric, 4.8 million. Just what's interesting to me is like, these truly are capital assets. Uh, it reminds me of our, our conversation with our friend Matt from um, Bitwise, mm -hmm. who was talking about Hey, look, DeFi assets are not like the cryptocurrency assets of the past, like Bitcoin or even Ether, um, because they have cash flows associated with them. So we could treat them like capital assets. And Wall Street absolutely understands mm -hmm. capital assets. So here's a report for a crypto native DeFi capital asset that you can analyze just like a stock. Pretty fantastic. Yeah, I'm perpetually like uh, uh, perplexed by the Yearn team because they have this kind of like we don't need to be taken seriously attitude. We'll have like waifus and and like anime and that'll be our brand. And then meanwhile, they're also producing like this fantastic in-depth, uh, uh, you know, TradFi ready reports and quarterly reports. At, and then they don't even have to do this. They're just doing it voluntarily probably as a marketing tool to add, to illustrate their investability as a DeFi app. Um, the other cool thing is that they published this on GitHub. Uh, and so they didn't publish this on, great point. I, I don't know where else you would publish these things, but they're publishing it on SEC. On, you file it with the SEC. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no need for that. Just post it on GitHub, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and so, you know, yeah. you're, you're always just pioneering and, and doing a good job. And, and uh, this is actually the second quarterly report that they've ever released. And so this is now becoming a theme. I think they don't take themselves seriously, but they definitely take their financials seriously, which is they massively take impressive. Yeah, they take is... profit seriously. They take yield seriously. That's what you want in a protocol. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this. There's a Balancer Labs and Gnosis team up. Um, they're coming out with some really interesting products. One sort of a beta alpha version of that is, is live that we can also talk about. But what is this new Balancer Gnosis protocol partnership combining? Yeah, so th this is something that I think it's going to take a while for me to digest. This is, uh, I think, some really clever deep engineering that kind of goes over my non-technical head. But they have, uh, into, uh, in collaboration, they've re released this thing called uh, CowSwap, uh, which is a new decentralized exchange, which uh, I think operates with similar properties that we are used to, as you would see from Uniswap, but the, the, the backend architecture is a little different. And so I think there's some sort of off-chain relayer mechanism that we might um, pull from 0x zero, zero that uh, helps with uh, gas fees and also mitigating minor extractable value. 
And so the, the gas fees, in theory, I think are very low. Uh, and I, I, you pay for that gas fees instead of with Ether, but you pay for it as part of your, your sale for your token. So it comes out of what you receive back. But also there is this uh, immunity that it has or this mitigation against minor extractable value. Don't, I don't yet understand the mechanism behind this. Uh, I think this is something that it's going to take a while for the DeFi ecosystem to digest. Um, but the magnitude of Gnosis balancer collaboration should not be under understated. And that's really kind of the takeaway here is that um, composable DeFi apps are doing composable things, making brand new products that could not have been built without that, that teamwork. And so yeah. always, always nice to see teamwork in DeFi. I think the through line here is it's kind of the best of both worlds. So the Gnosis protocol very much is about uh, back batch auction style mm -hmm. trades and not an automated market maker. And so they're doing that, I think, as part of CalSwap. But if the batch auction doesn't work, then basically the trades get matched against a balancer pool or even a Uniswap pool. So the overflow um, you know, just goes there. So you get kind of an all-in-one best of both worlds hybrid type experience. So this is just like an alpha version, but yeah, I think the through line is uh, it's, a, it's a blend of money protocols. It's almost a synthesis of these things coming together to make an even better system. And David, the, should we get the, to the news? No, because I want to say that the cow branding <laughs> was actually, the cow comes from co coincidence of wants. And so the cow theme <laughs> oh, dude, was not just it. like arbitrarily picked. However, it is literally cow themed. Uh, yes, because this is crypto, but coincidence of wants is also the theme and is also a crypto concept. David, let's get to the news. We got to start with EIP 1559 because we Love have a it. date. What is the date? July 14th. July 14th. July. Um, is this set in stone or is this tentative? It's still tentative, but it's- I guess everything um, is tentative until the day of. Yeah. And you know, when we had we when we had Justin Drake on, his prediction was July 14th, but- things mm -hmm. could happen. This could slip to um, August, possibly September at the latest, but it feels pretty secure. Pretty I, secure. I, I'm going to go with like, a greater than 50% chance that it's wow. July 14th. So what are you going to be doing July 14th then? Probably doing a stream, probably with you. <laughs> what do you mean? What kind celebrating? of that? Yeah. <laughs> we're definitely celebrating. Yeah. So no vacation on that day, David. Nope. We're, we're going to be celebrating the first burning event of oh, EIP yes. 1559. Oh, goosebumps. Just gave you goosebumps, sir. Crazy, right? All right. Well, that's coming as we said it was. Uh, get up to speed on our ultrasound money episode, particularly the one this week with Justin Drake. If you haven't listened mm -hmm. to that, we go through the the models of ultrasound money, mm -hmm. including how much ETH is expected to be burnt and its implications on issuance. Really in-depth episode there. We've, we've done three episodes with Justin Drake. And so if you have not watched three bankless episodes with Justin Drake, you are behind. You you, you really should, because this stuff is going to hit hard and fast in crypto, and people are just starting to wrap their heads around it. All right, this is another one. Banks starting to wrap their heads around Ethereum, maybe. This is the European Investment Bank issuing a two-year digital bond on Ethereum through a number of European banks, uh, Goldman, Santander, among them, of course. So this is, David, using Ethereum as a settlement layer for analog banking bonds. Not using uh, uh, private blockchains, not using internal ledgers, but actually using the Ethereum network for some of this asset settlement. Pretty crazy that banks are now getting on board as well. Yeah, so Ethereum is being used as a credibly neutral asset settlement layer uh, through the internet. Oh, weird. It, it's weird, but that's that, that's how it's being used. It's it's as it's as if it's been used as advertised. Weird. 
Yeah. I mean, the banks are going to have to come aboard uh, th this whole movement. It looks like they're, they're still kind of dabbling in it. Like, um, this is a big event because of the banks and the names listed. Right. Uh, it's a two-year digital bond, but it's not like they have moved their entire business operations and bond issuance operations to Ethereum yet. So this right. is a step in that direction. I still feel like we're in the, the, the prototype alpha phase of all of this, but it's happening, man. David, this next one surprised me a bit. I don't know if you were surprised, but yeah. Coinbase Pro is launching Tether. So they're going to be supporting not only USDC as a stable coin, but they're also going to be supporting Tether for some of their exchange pairs. Yeah, really interesting design choice here because USDC, Coinbase has stake in USDC. If USDC grows, Coinbase has exposure to that. And so, you know, USDT, Tether, is kind of a competitor of Coinbase's interests. Now, there is insane demand for USDT, especially from the, the Eastern Hemisphere of the world. And so, like, profit maxi, I guess, if we accept Tether, then we can start generating fees based off of that. But it's an interesting choice because Tether is kind of like this black box that at least USDC is a little bit more transparent. But I guess, you know, at the end of the day, Tether finally kind of broke through its stigma of being a black box. It's now, it's Lindy is powerful. It's now being accepted as Coinbase. So they've started yeah. releasing audits. Right, started releasing audits. And so kind of getting folded folded into, uh, in, into the fold, if you will. Yeah, it surprised me because I didn't think that USDC, that Coinbase thought it needed Tether, right? So again, probably the the profit maximalist, of course, you support more exchange uh, pairs, mm -hmm. then you can charge, you, you can get additional revenue through trading fees, and that's good for your bottom line. But it, it had always felt up to this point that um, Coinbase was instead trying to propagate USDC and sort of downplay, marginalize Tether. So this is a, definitely a, a big change. I guess it's fine. Like, I guess it's a good thing, right? Um, you know, people should it. have the ability. Yeah, people should have the ability to trade and use whatever stablecoin asset that they want. You could certainly do that in DeFi. So why not on Coinbase as well? Yeah, um, the other thing I don't get, though, is that going from USDC to USDT is trivially easy with applications like Curve. Um, yeah. And so if you want, if you have USDT, but you want to be on Coinbase, it's actually pretty trivial just to get USDC. Uh, and so I think that there's more to this story. And I think perhaps the story is unfolding and we'll find out more as, as things goes along. We will monitor how that develops. Uh, here's something else that was a surprise to me. MetaMask now surpa surpassing a 5 million monthly active users. Not long MetaMask. after becoming a bankless sponsor. Coincidence? Coincidence? <laughs> we have the best sponsors. Uh, yeah. We really do. And, uh, you know, we're just fortunate to uh, to be in the space early and to get these fantastic sponsors. Like, But MetaMask, this is not, th this is a measure that Web2 is very familiar with. They, mm -hmm. they very much like, you know, monthly active users, daily active users. And now here's MetaMask, basically the, the wallet for DeFi, the primary DeFi wallet that people are using today and it's rocketing past 5 million monthly active users. David, if you remember in the, the Coinbase um, you know, SEC reports, they were doing like 6 million or so monthly active users. So MetaMask now in the ballpark of Coinbase as far as active users, that's pretty insane growth. That is pretty insane. And, and look at that subtitle. It says in the past six months, MetaMask has grown 5X and is now used by more than 5 million users every month, which means six months ago, it was only 1 million. So we've onboarded 4 million people. That's in the last six months. That's absolutely insane. If we wanted to get a little bit more accurate, it's probably actually 5 million devices 
I at least have two of those. Um, I have two two <laughs> devices with two, two MetaMasks, but I'm a DeFi yeah. power user, right? So the average pro person probably only has one. And the thing that also divides that is, is some MetaMask usage might be from a large capital pool mm. that represents uh, an entire company or an entire DAO. So that could be like multiple people as part of that. Again, like a MetaMask account, like an ETH address um, can represent, is, is kind of like a bank account. So it can represent more than one individual as well. Um, the revenue here is pretty crazy behind this too. So if you sort of add this up as Tim Schmidt does on Twitter, MetaMask is now making 400K per day in fees, which is pretty incredible given it has for so long felt like a, a public good mm -hmm. of uh, Ethereum and of crypto that didn't have a revenue generating mechanism. Well, mm -hmm. they turned it on mm -hmm. and now it's crushing it in terms of revenue. Yeah, this is a great example of a, a project that uh, was was birthed uh, birth out of uh, you know Joe Lubin consensus and, and Dan Finley and all that hard work and gave something of incredible value for free to the community and it got adopted based off of the commitments to Ethereum and and to Ethereum users who needed to use Ethereum uh, and it just got it, it, because it was free it got adopted and then they introduced the MetaMask swap feature. Which is, of course, uh, MetaMask is still free. It's just the swap feature. It, MetaMask charges a small fee on, and because MetaMask proliferated itself into the Ethereum ecosystem, the, that swap feature has become insanely lucrative for them. Uh, and so, absolutely well deserved. Uh, tip of the hat to the MetaMask team, uh, and also congrats, to, congrats to Joe. Absolutely, congrats to Consensus, mm -hmm. uh, David. Gas fees are down. People mm -hmm. might have noticed that, at least on Ethereum. Can Can you explain why? Yeah, for a number of different reasons, we got this double whammy of both increasing the block size from 12.5 million to uh, 15 million, which is a 20% increase. And so per, uh, per unit time, Ethereum can take 20% more transaction activity. Meanwhile, we had Flashbots go live. And so MEV gas wars are actually uh, bypassing the mempool pool and have happening off chain. Meanwhile, layer twos are here. Like I said, I've been playing around with the Polygon um, uh, Aave implementation, which means all of my transactional activity is not actually going to the main chain very often. It's actually, I've only made uh, three transactions between the main chain and Polygon. Meanwhile, on Polygon, I've made like 40 transactions. And so only out of those 40 transactions, only three actually touch the L1. Um, and and perhaps um, perhaps more reasons as well, but I think those are those are the the really th the three big ones. Is we also saw DYDX volume absolutely exploding, uh, and so L twos are definitely taking off. David, uh, let's switch over to well before we switch over to NFTs, <laughs> let's talk about this. David, mm -hmm. Ethereum is starting to hit the mainstream in small ways right now. We're going to talk about mo more about that, but he, he, here's kind of a symbol of that. This is uh, Ethereum. It's being on projected CNN. on CNN under the, like right above the headline, the future of finance. One of the first times I've seen an image like this on CNN, and it has uh, the Ethereum Ether <laughs> ticker price uh, going up. Of course, green had a great week, 7% um, up. What does this mean? Does this mean that Ethereum is finally escaping into the mainstream narrative or starting to? Yeah, so this is a, an interview with uh, Joseph Lubin, so it's obviously Ethereum themed. But you know, when when price goes up, it, it grabs headlines, and so if the fundamentals of Ethereum, if the price finally catches up with fundamentals, then that will be headline grabbing. The other interesting thing about this is that 
the other headline, the other title here is we, that we see is crypto group signs up to climate accord. They're talking about consensus. Consensus joins plan to make industry run on renewables by 2025. And a number of uh, weekly rollups ago, we talked about how uh, the headwinds coming for proof of work blockchains are going to be extremely strong. And we're already seeing that fight being fought. And Ethereum doesn't have to fight that fight because we're transferring to proof of stake. When Bitcoiners, when they're presented with like, but Bitcoin is environmentally unfriendly, they have to get into the trenches and they have to fight that fight. When Ethereum has to fight that fight, we just say, oh yeah, we're transitioning to proof of stake and proof of stake is the most green thing that we can do. Um, and so it's very much a different solution rather than fighting. It's just like, oh yeah, we have a solution and we're, we, are, we committed to this a long time ago. Uh, and so These that's also making its way into the mainstream narrative. Exactly. These are the narratives that are escaping the mainstream. Um, pretty crazy. All right. Uh, David, Eminem, Marshall Mathers, mm -hmm. he is getting in the NFT game. What's Welcome. going on here? Welcome. <laughs> Slim Shady, uh, minting <laughs> NFTs on Nifty Gateway. Uh, and so this, uh, this was a, an interesting way to cap supply where there was an open market where you could purchase these things for a fixed price and anyone could purchase these things for a fixed price. And then the timer ended and then no more can be minted and no more can be bought. Uh, and so it looks like uh, there were three things, three NFTs that were made. One sold for 675 units, one sold for 940 units, and the third sold for 753 units. And now there shall be no more than those. So if you got your hands on one of those, uh, congrats. And if you didn't get your hands on one of those, you have to go to somebody that already has one in order to buy one. Uh, these NFTs are like these little Eminem action figures uh, in with, with Eminem just being dressed up in different ways. Uh, and so I think it's pretty cool. But uh, you know, congrats, congrats to Eminem uh welcome to the world of nfts do you think he knows he's actually deploying this like he, he's doing this on ethereum do you think he has any notion of that or probably less so I, I i think there's a representative taking care of this for him <laughs> feels very much though like nfts at least have reached mainstream so he probably knows the term N uh, nft at least all right david let's get to bitcoin news 10 years ago bitcoin creator satoshi nakamoto sent his final message and then he disappeared this was the 10th anniversary of satoshi's disappearance what is the significance of this yeah this is a always going to be a subject of just crypto and bitcoin lore because people have dissected satoshi and his person and personality and his messages to the nth degree and i don't think that that is stopping uh, and so this is kind of a, a very ceremonious time, I think, in the in the Bitcoin realm where they really pay homage to Satoshi and really do their best to interpret, like, quote unquote, this sacred text of Satoshi that he left on the Internet. What did Satoshi mean by this? What is your interpretation of that? Uh, and it's been 10 years since the founder of this whole entire industry that we, we got his last message. And so Satoshi has been gone for 10 years now. Uh, and so that's something I think that deserves respect. It feels less like you're talking about an industry and more like you're talking about a religion and like mm -hmm. the founder of a religion, the way you just described it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, is that what this is? Like, I think so. Do you think, I mean, what do you think about Satoshi leaving? Was that the best thing that could happen to Bitcoin? Or do you think that was um, like the wrong move? Do you think he should have stuck around longer to see, to answer some some questions about Bitcoin, whether it's scalability or long-term issuance policy or something else? No, I think he wanted Bitcoin to be in the hands of the people as soon as possible. And Bitcoin's design itself is much less hands-on than what we are familiar with on Ethereum. 
Uh, I think the opportunity for, Soshi, for, for Satoshi to leave should be taken as soon as possible. And I think that's more or less what he did. Uh, if Bitcoin needed to innovate in other ways, I think Satoshi said that the thought to leave that to the people. Definitely a legendary figure. And, uh, you know, every every year, Bitcoiners are going to celebrate this. Mm -hmm. And I think crypto is going to, to take notice. Um, let's talk about Tesla. So Tesla has recently purchased some Bitcoin that made news. This week, they sold 18% of the Bitcoin that they purchased. So they sold off 272 million. I think they made like $100 million in profit, which David surprisingly represented a decent portion of their quarterly profit. So that was like a fourth or something of their quarterly profit actually came from a trade. Mm -hmm. It's funny to me that companies like Tesla, MicroStrategy, others are now acting as almost like crypto traders. Uh, they're 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 definitely keeping like a fund aspect alive, and where, whereas MicroStrategy's kind of just bought and hold, Tesla's actually trading some of this stuff. I don't think it's actually them trading, and so this actually that conversation uh, got was very very big in Bitcoin Twitter uh, this last week, and and so some Bitcoiners feel very betrayed that you know Satoshi or not Satoshi Elon would sell Bitcoin. How dare <laughs> another he? religious figure? Another religious <laughs> figure. Way. How dare Elon sell Bitcoin? Why he? Why he's just all he's doing is buying Bitcoin and then pumping it and then selling it. Is this just another pump and dump that that uh, Elon is doing? I don't think that's what's going on. I think there's a much more um, intent, intentful and purposeful move going on by Tesla. Um, that I heard an, an analysis that it, it was actually a investor a, a protective move where uh, Tesla needed to make sure that they could both buy and sell Bitcoin quickly and easily without with with ample liquidity uh, and I, I'm not privy to that those conversations but there was some sort of like uh, it was a defensive move to protect against any sort of uh, uh, t Tesla like legal issues um, so fall I, I'm sorry I can't articulate more of a coherent answer to this. I, I heard about this from uh, NLW's podcast, The Breakdown, where he did a, a pretty good analyst uh, job analyzing this. And so uh, the the TLDR is that like there's perhaps some sort of compliance or risk that Tesla took on by buying Bitcoin, and they needed to quell that issue by also selling a little bit and prove that you know this Bitcoin is liquid. They can they can easily access the value in it and uh, in things of this nature. Well, I mean, the big story is, look, it's only 18%. They still have over a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And, um, you know, the fact that they're, I guess, buying and selling probably to me means they're they're more likely to buy more assets in the future. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, I don't see it as a betrayal. I mean, maybe maybe if they sold the entirety of it, like yeah. that would be a different story that in three months. But at that the end of the day, it's only 18%. That would be a pump and dump. And if Elon was going to pump and dump something, it would definitely be Doge, not Bitcoin. <laughs> he's currently doing <laughs> <You> that. <laughs> Maybe he's doing that personally. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's... Um, who knows how much Doge Elon has? Does he have any? Does he own right. any? I doubt we don't he know. has any. I doubt. I wouldn't know. You don't though. think so? I don't think so. We'll never know. All never right. Uh, JP Morgan to let clients invest in a Bitcoin fund for the first time. More Bitcoin news. JP Morgan always tends to get in on these things when they're hot during the bull runs and then forgets about crypto during the bear runs. And here they are coming back to crypto, 
giving access to a Bitcoin fund for their large, wealthy clients. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, and if we do think that the time of cycles is over and crypto is mainstream now, that means that perhaps Bitcoin off uh, Bitcoin offerings from JP Morgan is also mainstream and also not going away. I love that in every JP Morgan article on crypto, they always quote his 2017, um, you know, calling, if you're stupid enough to buy it, this is what he said in, in 2017, you'll pay the price for it one day. They always- Somebody uh, paid quote, the price, Jamie Diamond. It yeah, wasn't Jamie Diamond, he, he was notorious for calling Bitcoin a dangerous fraud in 2017. Mm -hmm. Now here he is opening up a Bitcoin fund himself. All right, David, let's get to the next company news. I feel like most of this Bitcoin news is, is publicly traded companies actually doing something with Bitcoin. This is Nexon, which is a game maker in Japan, actually a really large company, one of Japan's largest companies. They are 30 billion in market cap. So uh, MicroStrategy, for reference, is about a $6 billion market cap company. So uh, Nexon is you know 5x larger than MicroStrategy, and they just allocated a small portion of their treasury, but a rather large purchase, 100 million into buying Bitcoin. What's the theme here? Yeah, 100 million is not a small number. That puts them, I think, at number nine or number 10 of uh, lar uh, world's largest owners of Bitcoin. Uh, and so uh, congratulations. That's cool. We're <laughs> continuing to see publicly traded companies and just treasuries of all sizes allocate towards Bitcoin. So cool. Yeah, you know, the the Blockworks group had a fantastic thread on this, newsletter on this, and they're... Um, what they were expressing is is basically like many of these CFOs and CEOs and publicly traded companies are going to do this very trade because they're not interested in buying bonds these days. In they're not interested in buying sovereign uh, bonds from governments because bonds are re rewardless risk, uh, as as they put it, as Nexon put it in their um, financial report. Even junk bonds carry higher risk and were formerly known as high yield have become a source of rewardless risk. So this is kind of late stage fiat credit cycle stuff mm -hmm. where interest rates on bonds are really low, but they're sort of rewardless. Like why buy a bond? So what do you do with all of the cash on your balance sheet? Well, you start to buy non-sovereign assets. You start to buy assets like Bitcoin, maybe Ether in the future too, but for now it's mainly Bitcoin. So this is yet another company signing up for this arbitrage. Um, just it, <laughs> Michael Saylor was one of the first, but many are, are coming to the same conclusion he has. Yeah, uh, and in, in stark contrast to rewardless risk, Bitcoin has done a fantastic job rewarding people who have taken risks on Bitcoin, uh, especially Michael Saylor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Visa C CEO says payments giant is moving into crypto in a very big way. So we have moved into regulation and traditional finance section of our news. Visa keeps saying they've got something really big coming. Mm -hmm. You have to believe that they actually have something really big in crypto coming. Yeah. And Any thoughts on what that might be, David? I can't. I can only imagine it would be using public permissionless blockchains to help improve their product. Uh, we already saw them starting to settle USCC payments between some of the big crypto banks. Uh, and if they are planning on moving in more into crypto in bigger and badder ways than that, I, I literally have no idea what it could be, but I'm excited for it. Stablecoin ish, maybe. Um, 
maybe their own stablecoin. Maybe they adopt USDC. I'm not sure where this yeah. could lead, but they keep talking about it. So something is definitely coming. Um, David, let's while we're on the subject of a fintech and and Visa making statements like this, so is PayPal. Mm-hmm. Crypto. This is the CEO of PayPal, uh, Dan Schluman. Cryptocurrency is the real deal, he says in this article in Time, and super apps are coming. I'm not sure what he means by super apps. I haven't read this full article, but cryptocurrency is the real deal. They weren't saying this in 2017. This is completely new. This is DeFi mullet stuff where you've got fintech now supporting um, DeFi rails and cryptocurrency rails. Maybe PayPal's doing something big in this space too. What do you think? Yeah, uh, good timing on PayPal talking about how awesome crypto is right after Ethereum flipping to PayPal in, in market cap. You know, if you can't beat them, <laughs> just join them in that case. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of resonance with PayPal and digital assets at large because PayPal, before it was PayPal, tried to be some sort of, you know, premature, a little bit too soon, you know, early internet non- money, internet money, right? Like it tried to do that uh, and couldn't really do it because of all the the, the ways that centralization fails. Um, but there's definitely resonance uh, between this company and digital assets. And so I expect PayPal to really be a pioneer in the space. In other PayPal news, David, Coinbase is now allowing US users to buy crypto using PayPal. So it's not only an ACH transfer. If you have a PayPal account, and you also have an account on on Coinbase, then you could just purchase your uh, your crypto assets on Coinbase with PayPal. So some more cozying up of fintech to the crypto industry here. Yeah, which is also interesting because uh, last week Venmo rolled out uh, crypto assets, and so you can also buy Bitcoin and Ether and other crypto assets using PayPal. And so I, I wonder how how deep this partnership goes. Um, I, I, is this even a partnership? Uh, what, when, when I buy Ether on, on uh, Venmo, where is that Ether actually coming from? Are they tapping into Coinbase to be their exchange? I don't know. Um, I think some more details about this would be nice. All right, David, we're going to get to takes in just a minute. But before we do, let's thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. 
Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, David, it's time for the hot takes of the week. Let's start with a hot take that you had seems like you're part of Never Sell Gang. What, what, what are you talking about in this tweet? Yeah, never ever sell your ETH. At least I'm not recommending that, but it is an option to you to take if you so choose it. And so what I say in this tweet is that you could collateralize your Ether and just borrow against it. And because Ether is ultrasound money, while the US dollar is perpetually devalued by the money printer, having ultrasound money as collateral and having your debt denominated in something that is perpetually being devalued is an advantageous position to have. And so you also don't have to pay taxes because you're not selling your ether, you're just collateralizing it. Uh, and so you collateralize your ether and perhaps we can even talk about our ether, uh, rocket pool ether, which is staked ether. So you can have upside to staking, collateralize our ether, borrow dollars against that. Meanwhile, your ether appreciates and you also get more of it because it's in our ether form, staked ether form. Meanwhile, you borrow against it, send that debt to send that uh, borrowed dollars to your bank account, ball out, call it, call it a life. Uh, and then hopefully if everything goes according to plan, this is where the risk comes in. Not, not, there's no ever free lunch. Uh, your debt in theory just melts away because the dollar is being printed. Meanwhile, your ether is appreciating because it's ultrasound money. Uh, and so that is an option that I think could, if, if you manage your risk appropriately and you don't get out over your ski tips, you could be in the hashtag never sell gang. So I'm adding two more hashtags to this. Hashtag not financial advice. Yeah. Hashtag not tax advice. Consult Hasht your tax Hashtag in theory. <laughs> hashtag yeah. hypothetical. Yeah. So so uh, never sell gang. We we even ran an article about this on 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 Monday about um, many people who are just rather than selling their ether, they just plan to stake it and use it as a productive asset. So there are many ways to be kind of never sell gang if that's what you choose to do. Mm -hmm. It's also a viable path to create a sell plan. And just have price targets and sell mm -hmm. as you go up. What you're talking about here, David, um, I think it meshes well with the Alchemix, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Alchemix episode that we did earlier this week, which was uh, another way to sort of um, take out future yield mm -hmm. against collateral that you already had. I would like to remind people though of one thing. So, I saw some people take this strategy, David, when Maker was first launched mm -hmm. in 2017 and 2018. Okay, some of these were very bullish ETH as you are, as I am right now, um, they they took out maker CDP loans. ETH was about $1,000 or so. They thought, no way it goes below $300. No way it goes below $200. David, we got to $80 mm -hmm. in the price of ETH. ETH lost 95% of its value. So the, the risk that you were talking about towards the end is ETH is heavily volatile, mm -hmm. um, you know, we may never see a 95% drop again, but it's possible we could. 
I saw some people get liquidated in uh, 2018 who were pursuing a similar strategy, but just didn't leave enough room. So if you do this strategy, I'm sure you would agree that it's it's all about your liquidation number because you mm -hmm. are adding some risk to this. You are adding some some margin to this kind of thing if you choose to do it. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, very, very, very true as well. Anytime you are borrowing against your collateral, you have the risk of being liquidated. And even if you have a very, very, very low liquidation price, let's rewind back into uh, December 2017, MakerDAO just went live, Ether is $1,200. And you come in and you say, I'm going to be super safe. I'm going to make my liquidation level $150. Eventually, seems super safe. At seems the time. super safe at the time, and eventually, Ether got down to that price. And if you didn't do anything between Ether being twelve hundred dollars and Ether being one hundred and fifty dollars, you get liquidated, and you are forcibly selling the bottom. Right? Uh, you are forced to sell the bottom. And so, a, a, a one way to manage this risk is that say, say, same scenario. Uh, you collateralize your Ether, one hundred and fifty dollars liquidation price. Ether is twelve hundred dollars, but then Ether gets cut to six hundred dollars. And so you're still plenty safe and you have an opportunity to then uh, unwind that leverage, sell some collateral before it, and maybe you go from $150 down to $75. Uh, and so you do sell some collateral. You are no longer in the never sell gang, but you are managing your risk appropriately. And if you did do that in that hypothetical scenario, you would have never had to sell your ether at the low, low price of $150 because you adequately manage your risk on the way down. And like you said, Ryan, I don't really think we're ever going to see 90% drawdowns ever again. Crypto's mainstream, but that's speculation, so it's not not guaranteed. Um, but I think as and and uh, similarly. MakerDAO was the only credit facility to really uh, offer this opportunity. Now, in Ethereum, we have many, many, many more credit facilities. We have Aave and Compound. We have uh, Liquidy, LUSD, uh, and we also have Alchemix. And so we have more tools at our, disposable, at our disposal to appropriately manage our risk uh, and also still be able to um, really capture that juxtaposition, which is really the through line of this tweet originally. The through line of this tweet is that there's a massive juxtaposition between ultrasound money and U.S. dollar, where it's advantageous to have ultrasound money as collateral while also having dollar-denominated debt because the juxtaposition between those two assets couldn't be more clear. And there's different DeFi apps that allow you to tap into the power of that juxtaposition that could be in your favor if you adequately manage risk. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's get to the next take. Um, I felt like this was reports week for Ether, David. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it had been... I don't know, right? 2018, 2019, almost 20, 2020, almost no financial analysts wrote anything about Ether as an asset. No, many, we were we were trying to do that. <laughs> like we were trying to do that. Like many, many reports came out about Ethereum as a smart contract network and mm -hmm. the potential, these sorts of things, but no one ever zoned in on Ether as an asset. If they did, I remember reading some like um, bearish reports mm -hmm. uh, from financial analysts about how they were going to short uh, ETH uh, back back in those days. But now we're getting reports on a weekly basis. Just last week, we got three. This is a almost like a re, sort of an institutional report that was made by a, a retail amateur investor, which is incredibly comprehensive. Mm -hmm. This whole report is about 78 pages or so. We'll include it in the show notes from a guy named Squish Chaos. And he goes through 
basically a lot of the things that we've been saying about ultrasound money, about the demand drivers, about the the catalysts of the triple halvening. We talked about this mm -hmm. on the last week's roll up, which is basically EIP 1559 and the merge that are coming up in the next nine to 12 months and how this will cause a 90% reduction in issuance, talking about narrative uh, adoption. And David, the price that this analyst is calling for is in the bear case, 30K ETH, 30 to 50K ETH. And in the speculative uh, fever like case, 150K ETH by January, 2023. Like more bullish than we've ever been on Bankless. So this first report blew my mind. I don't know if you were able to read uh, any of it, but it was uh, absolutely, uh, it was well-researched and well-put together for sure. Yeah, uh, the, the number of different reports coming out is awesome first off and like, like you said this is kind of a reiteration of some of the ultrasound money theses proof of stake merge reduce issuance burning issuance blah 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 it's important to have many different reports articulating similar things from different angles because you don't know what's going to catch on and what's not going to catch on and sometimes people just need things to be articulated differently for them to really resonate with things and so the fact that multiple reports are coming out about ethereum all talking about similar through lines but in different roundabout ways, really it's just catching, it's casting the widest net to really capture some of those, that, that investor mindset. Yeah. So that was a, a report by an amateur analyst. I would call them that's actually very sophisticated. A report came out by a crypto fund called two prime, and this was targeted at institutional investors. We'll include the full, a link to the full report in our show notes, but here, here's a statement for you. We believe that ETH has earned a place alongside Bitcoin as an institutional grade investment, store of value, and treasury reserve asset alongside Bitcoin. Pretty crazy. That's the message getting out there to institutional investors from crypto funds. This last report was actually put together by, once again, our friends at JP Morgan. Why is ETH outperforming is the title of the report. And here's a quote from it. Bitcoin is more of a crypto commodity than currency, competes with gold as a store of value, while ETH is the backbone of the crypto native economy. I wouldn't fully agree with all of that, but they got the last part right, which is ETH is the backbone of a fully crypto native economy. So the narrative is, is seeping out through these reports at the, the retail level, at the institutional le level, and even among uh, bankers who are issuing these things. Yeah, the parallel here between the dollar being the backbone of the world because of the, how it is the petrodollar, right? If you want to access energy, gasoline, you need to be using dollars. That same uh, metaphor is alive with, with Ether, where if you want to do stuff in DeFi, you need Ether, and the Ether is the backbone of the crypto-native economy. That's basically saying Ether is the money for the internet. ETH is money, leaking ETH out. Is money. David, there's no floor for ETH supply. I heard you say this on our podcast with Justin mm -hmm. Drake. I think there was a spur-of-the-moment thing. What do you mean by this tweet? Right, so uh, Bitcoiners and supply cap maximalists will often critique Ethereum as like, well, there's no supply cap to Ether, so why would it ever be a store of value? Uh, and while that's already not a very nuanced take, like correct, there is no supply cap to Ether. That doesn't mean that it's not extremely scarce. Uh, when we have EIP-1559 burning a bunch of Ether and the proof of stake system not issuing very much Ether, in uh, the case of a deflationary Ether, there is in similar ways that there is no uh, Ether supply cap. 
there is also no ether supply floor. We could, in theory, burn all of the ether. Just like in theory, there's an infinite number of ether out there. In theory, there's also no floor to the ether supply. So Justin Drake modeled out the, uh, the case for ether supply going as low as 100 million units when we are currently at 115 million. So what would it take to burn 15 million units to get the supply back down to 100 million? Go watch that uh, the, the uh, modeling ultrasound money video that we just did with Justin Drake. But that he put a time frame on that of something like 15 to 20 years. 20 years plus, we could just go through the, the fake floor of 100 million, the, 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 the round number floor, and just keep on going. There is no ether supply floor. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. It's a counter narrative. David, I'm going to give this a retweet. I like that oh, well, one. Why haven't you already? Well done, sir. I, I, I'm just seeing it now, okay? Uh, just seeing it now. Um, David, let's get to this last take. This is about the Binance chain exploit. So there was an exploit, and I believe, do you, do you recall the name of the protocol that was actually exploited? Uh, no. Here no, it I is. Uh, uranium finance. Oh, Almost like it's not remember. important. Don't remember right? that one Uranium finance. So there are many things that are popping up on Binance Smart Chain uh, these days. This this one um, report uh, stole 50 million in users' fund. So there's some sort of a backdoor or a way to access those funds. Uranium finance stole the 50 million on Binance Smart Chain. What's interesting about this scenario, I think, David, is it, it sort of starts to test the limits of decentralization of the base layer. So I kind of think of this, I kind of think of Binance Smart Chain as almost like a centralized casino. You could argue all of finance is a casino, that Ethereum is a casino too, but Binance Chain is really a centralized casino. There is um, a centralized operator. So this was as if somebody... Uh, you're the casino operator. You put yourself in the position of CZ. Someone stole money from your customers uh, in your casino. Most of the money, some are still in the building. So you have the ability to go catch the people who did it and restore the funds. You're the casino owner. Do you freeze the stolen funds and return it to its rightful owners? Or do you do nothing? And here's the catch, right? You have been telling everyone that you don't have the power to freeze the stolen funds. That Binance Chain is decentralized, that it is DeFi, uh, and you've been pretending to to not have this ability. So now, what do you do? You're caught in this like, cro you know, crosshairs of decision. So, I'm curious as to what Binance does. the The article in question uh, talks about the um, the victims of the hack talking to the Binance security team about ways to remediate this. I'm, very much wondering how it gets worked out. Maybe it gets worked out by, you know, Binance gives them some of their funds back from an insurance. Uh, maybe CZ decides and Binance chain decides to actually pursue the the hackers and freeze their funds and restore the the funds. But this is kind of the the predicament that you're in when you actually have the ability as a, a chain operator to censor transactions freeze funds when it's actually a centralized system rather than a decentralized system. Any thoughts here? Yeah, and the predicament to me is you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because if you right. do if you do roll back the chain and restore funds, then those users are happy. Um, but the one of the reasons why DeFi is what it is today is because no one is coming to save poorly constructed DeFi applications. And so they need to be built right. 
And so there's less of an urgency for applications on Binance Smart Chain to really get things right if CZ does decide to just roll back the chain and give people their money back, which means DeFi on Binance Chain, on Binance chain will always be like, you know, given protection by this, this all-powerful, you know, overseer. And they actually can't escape into their own responsibility and take responsibility for their own smart contractors themselves if they keep getting rescued by CZ. Or CZ does nothing and that's that's costly in of itself. Like, well, then why do we even bother with this centralization? Like, what are we actually getting here? Yeah, and if he does nothing, maybe this time might not be able to get away with that if the amounts are, say, 500 million. Or if you get a notice from the authorities requiring you uh, to restore the funds. So yeah, it's interesting to see all of this play out. David, let's move to what we are excited about this week. I'm going to ask you first, what are you excited about, my friend? Well, the first, really quick, the first and foremost thing I'm excited about is Eric Connor increasing his price targets up from uh, <laughs> up from 2,500 to $15,590. And so thank you, Eric Connor, for, for becoming uh, more bullish. Uh, we finally got him, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to rescind against his sins of being uh, overly bearish. And now Eric Connor joins the clan of being ETH bulls. Um, <laughs> my ETH maxi side is coming out a little bit too much today. Um, but the other much more uh, reasonable thing I'm really excited for is uh, the podcast coming out on Monday, this coming Monday out of the Bankless podcast. And it is all about drawing the connections between the renaissance of the 1400s and perhaps the crypto renaissance that we have ahead of us, making the claim that the crypto renaissance ahead of us is equal to or larger than in magnitude the renaissance that we experienced back in the 1400s in Italy. Uh, and the connections here are two very specific types of technologies, one communication and one financial. In the 1400s, we ha invented double entry bookkeeping and also the uh, the printing press. And that allowed for freedom, freedom of information and just fintech, really just more financial tooling. And that those two things really created art, culture, churn of value, new ways to distribute wealth. And that really created the cultural renaissance that we saw in the 1400s. And when we make the claim that we are about to see that same effect again coming as a result of a crypto renaissance moving forward, and it could be even bigger than the original renaissance due to how things just move faster these days. Really cool podcast. Yeah, I can't wait to release that, man. It's uh, I can't wait to listen to it. Is it is it edited? It's, I gotta it, listen to it. That's the on the rest of my to do list today. I got it back from the editor this morning, and so I'm gonna slap some music on there and then put it out, and we're gonna have it for early release for the Bankless listeners. And so if you are a paid Bankless listener, you can go and listen to that right now. Awesome, man. Uh, that that includes me. I hope, David. I yeah. uh, no. <laughs> I'm not Only, a paid user, are, but are, are you not a paid user of Bankless, Ryan? <laughs> I don't. I'm not. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to make it after all this time. <laughs> all right, Ryan, what are you excited about? I'm excited about Bill Ford. Bill, Bill Ford, Ford. What a guy. Bill Ford is a 77 year old guy. I don't know where he lives. I've seen him active on crypto Twitter. He's an active member of the Bankless community. And you know what Bill Ford is doing? He's teaching himself DeFi. David, mm -hmm. I, he's 77 years old. He's learning MetaMask. He's emailing us because he's trying to claim his, his badge. He was successfully able to claim his badge and he is learning. He's asking fantastic questions uh, and he's tweeting at us all of the time. And it, it just kind of hit me like Bankless is a movement for everybody. DeFi mm -hmm. is a movement for everybody. If Bill Ford at 77 years old 
can figure this out. Like, what's your excuse mm -hmm. for not like spending some time right. and learning this? Anyone can learn crypto. If you're 10 years old, right? You could start pursuing a MetaMask account. If you're like a 77 year old man, a 77 year old woman, wherever you are in the world, you can start learning crypto. You just have to take the time and apply yourself. So um, look, Bill Ford can do it. You can do it. Really excited to have a, a diverse community with us on the journey because this is a global movement for everybody. Yeah, nice job, Bill Ford. Much, much respect to you in, in getting into DeFi. It's not an easy task, even for the internet native people. And I wonder what it's like to, to, to be Bill Ford, who is a member of the silent generation, not the boomer generation, when you and I are just shitting on boomers <laughs> so left and right here. I wonder what he's listening to. No, we like, don't yeah, do that. Yeah, what it was, those boomers. David and Ryan's right. Those goddamn boomers. <laughs> I wonder elite what that's like. Boomers, David. Elite, elite, the to, elite boomer. Boomer, boomer elite, right. Boomer Elite All right, David. the people that, that we don't like. Let's get to the meme of the week. Meme of the week. Uh, thankless meme. <laughs> you you want to read this one out, Ryan? Yeah. It's just a picture. of You know those chain pens mm -hmm. at the banks they have? Right. Mm -hmm. It's just a picture of a chained up pen that you might see at any retail bank that you enter. And it just says this. This is how much the banks trust you. They can't stop. even trust you with a pen. Mm -hmm. Just... Chain the pen up. Chain the pen That's up. That's it. That's the tweet. Full stop. That's the meme. Yeah, nice. This was a meme created by Ryan. Wow, 3,000 likes? Holy hell. Wow, nice job. Yeah. Uh, I, retweet, yeah. I retweeted this uh, this tweet, and I said, uh, the banks would chain you up too if they could. And that was my contribution. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, all right, let's 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 go to our runner-up meme because this is great too. David, you want to explain this one? Yeah, this is uh, the Never Sell Gang. I mean for the Never Sell Gang. It is uh, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is the Return of the King where they're doing a flashback to uh, Elrond, the, the elf king, talking to, I can't remember his name, the, the human who's got the ring. And he's Isildur. A, Isildur, right. And he's about to throw <laughs> the ring into the fire and just banish evil from the land. And he goes, uh, uh, the, the elf guy goes, take some profits, sell it. And the, and the guy goes, no, no, I won't. And of course, <laughs> the ring he's holding is actually ether, the ether coin. And so refusing to take his profits and refusing to sell. However, if you are receiving life-changing money as a result of this crypto revolution, do consider taking that life-changing money and actually changing your life with it. You don't necessarily have to hold on to paper gains. Wait, 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 wait. What happened time. to Never Sell Gang, David? It's not paper. Never Sell Gang is not for everyone. <laughs> you need to uh, you need to understand that that may or may not be your life. You do not have to be in the Never Sell Gang. You can sell your ether. It's okay. Um, I, I, however, am going to do my best to be in the Never Sell Gang. We are convex thinkers, right? As as Vitalik would say, right? So mm -hmm. you could why not a blend approach? Just mm -hmm. don't sell everything. Right. Maybe send a little sell a little Def bit. Definitely uh, change don't your sell life everything. a little bit. Yeah. Don't sell everything. ETH is turning into a productive asset, global monetary asset mm -hmm. before our eyes. Um, as is Bitcoin, at least the the global monetary aspect of it. David, this has been a roll up. We are in the fifth week of April. What a year it has been so far. Guys, of course, thank you for joining us on the Bankless journey. None of what you heard was financial advice. None of it was tax advice. Bitcoin is risky, ETH is too, so is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but this is the journey west and we're glad you're with us. Thanks for joining us on Bankless.